Welcome to this week's podcast from Free Chapel in Orange County. We hope that you enjoy this encouraging message. For more information on our church family, visit freechapel.org forward slash OC. John chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 31. So it, said, uh, it says this, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide, say if. Yeah. If's a very powerful word in the English language. There's a contingency to it. It says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And then he answered them, we are offspring of Abraham, and you have, we have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say that we will become free. And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know that you are an offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because of my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen from my father and you do what you have heard from your father. So today I'm talking about practicing the patterns of practice, the patterns of practice. The greatest misconception of freedom that I believe is that we get to do whatever we want. We think freedom from the grace of God means that we now get the liberty, as Pastor Cody so brilliantly talked about, to do whatever we want. That we can talk how we want, act how we want, because God's gonna forgive us, right? But freedom is not, we, we can't under, buy into this misconception that it's about doing whatever we want. Now, Jesus is in this passage of scripture. It's kind of coming down from this crazy like discourse as well as a story that we all would be familiar in John chapter eight. It was the woman caught in the act of adultery. They bring, him before, bring her before Jesus. They throw her on the ground and he writes in the, in the dust. We don't know what he writes. And he says, whoever has not sinned, you know, cast the first stone, one by one they drop the stones. Then he goes into this discourse about him being the light of the world and how he will eradicate darkness. Then he gets to where our passage we just read and he says he's talking to those who are believers and he's then saying, hey, if you abide in me, you are my disciples. So what is happening is they believed in him after they saw this interaction with the, 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 the woman caught in adultery. They believed in him after he talked about how he's the light in the world. But Jesus shows us something that really is why he came to this earth. He did not come just for us to believe. He came for us to be disciples, to be practitioners, to be apprentices, to be those who model after his life. And in this passage of scripture, he's saying to those who believed, if you abide in my commands, then you are a practitioner, an apprentice or a disciple of Christ. That is the contingent. If you put this into practice. So he's calling them from just mere belief to practice. He's calling them from just this ethereal, man, this guy sounds good. It makes me feel good belief into a life that is transformed by a new pattern and a new way of living. This is what Jesus is doing. It's something we cannot miss in what he's talking about here when he's talking about freedom. He's calling them from a place of just belief. They yeah, believe in God to a place of practice, discipleship, apprenticeship. Even the demons believed in Jesus so belief is something that we, we, we can muster up. It's some, but the, the faith element of our salvation requires action. It requires a step in the direction. Grace is not opposed to earning, our effort, it's opposed to earning. 
So sometimes we've kind of in this new era of freedom that I can do what I want, how I want, as we think that grace is opposed to any bit of action towards God. No, but grace is opposed to the attitude in which our action earns something from him, but grace is not opposed to the action itself. In fact, grace should exude action towards God. The goodness and the grace and the love of God should well up within us and that there's a faith action step saying, God, I want to step towards who you are and who you've designed me to be. It's not from a place of I've earned anything because we can't earn it, but it should be a place of action. So this is what Jesus is talking about in John chapter eight. He's saying, he's calling them to a place of action. He's calling them to a place of practice. Jesus is reminding us of his entire life's ministry, and he has called us to be disciples. And a disciple, once again, is a practitioner, an apprentice of his commands in life. In fact, that was what his final words on this earth was the Great Commission. What did he say? Go into all the world and make disciples. Go into all the world and make disciples. Recreate practitioners, apprentices of God who walk in the way that I walked. And it says this, the spirit of God will remind you of the commands and the words that I spoke to you. So the whole, per, the whole contingency of this if, he says, if you are my disciples, you will abide in my word. If, that's a contingency. We don't like the big ifs in the Bible in the modern church today. No, no, God loves me no matter what. Yes, he does. But there is things in which God has put in place that says, if you want to walk in freedom, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to do these things, you cannot define it. God has defined it. That if has defined to us what a disciple is. So we can come up with varying degrees of uh, uh, defining what a disciple in Christ is, but Christ just defined it in John chapter eight. It says, abide in my words. If you are my disciples, you will abide in my commands. He understood this. Jesus' new way of living was beyond believing. It was a call to practice. He's, notice he didn't say those who believe knew the truth. It's those, if you abide in my commands, then you are my disciples and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So some of us, well, I don't really know the truth. Well, no, in the Greek is a very intimate word. In fact, it was the most intimate way of relating to somebody, that specific word, gnosko. It would be as if I'm talking about my wife and how I relate to her in an intimate way. It connects you on the deepest level that you could possibly have. So knowing was a place of intimacy. So he's saying, if you abide in my commands, then you are my disciples, and then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So maybe some of us are not walking in freedom, not because God cannot set us free, but because we haven't stepped from a place of believing in who he is and what he can do for us to a place of practicing and abiding in his commands to where his truth was revealed to who we are. Because it's only revealed in intimacy. It's only revealed in relationship. You will know the truth, why? In a place of intimacy. I know I'm teaching, I'm getting somewhere. I'm just setting it all up. Don't worry, all right? So the closer we get to Christ, the more we know the truth. The truth reveals a new pattern of life. Get that. The truth will always expose a lie. Always. 
He will expose the lies about what you, your misconceptions of God. He will expose lies of your misconceptions of fatherhood because maybe your father was, was not a good dad or, or, or he'll, he'll expose the misconceptions of what it means to be a man or what it means to be a woman. These things that we've now defined ourselves that God did not define. And he's saying, hey, this is what it means to be a man of God. This is what it means to be a woman of God. This is what it means to be single and steady and secure in God. This is what it means to be married and serve one another. This is what happens when you know the truth. It reveals the lies that the enemy has put in place, trying to define your identity, trying to define your destiny, trying to define who you are. And some of us, we are walking in a path and we love Jesus and we have a relationship with Jesus, but because we lack the depth of intimacy, we haven't had certain lies revealed in our lives. So we walk in a lie, even though the truth is available to reveal what that lie is. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't take an oath by heaven or by hell. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. Why? Because oaths were no longer necessary. Because oaths were only put in place and because there was a possibility that you could lie. So he's saying in the face of the truth of who Jesus is, guess what? You don't even need to take an oath by anybody else because he is the absolute continual perfect truth and he will reveal every lie in your life. Just say yes to him and no to the things of this world. This is what intimacy is about. It's all about revealing the new patterns of life. I believe this. We can find freedom in moments, but walking out in freedom is making a decision to walk in the pattern of Christ. See, I think something that's lost in the modern church is that we actually don't understand that Christ died so that we could become disciples of Christ. We have become converts and believers, but we have neglected discipleship. Dallas Willard says this, the problem in the church is not right or left, but it is that we have made discipleship optional rather than optimal. Discipleship is the optimal life that God designed for you. Discipleship is actually what creates who God has shaped you to be and molded you to be. God gave you a way of practicing his life. And it's not out of religion. It's not out of legalism, but it's out of a place of grace and love. And he's saying this, he wants to put at the forefront of his believer's mind that we are to grow into Christ likeness. We are to grow. We will do that at varying degrees and maturity levels here on earth. And we will be glorified one day into the image of God. We will not become gods, but we will grow into the image of God. But we should start practicing that now. There is a pattern of life that we make a decision. And guess what? I believe that the more intimacy we have, the more freedom that we walk in. So I want to talk about today, practicing the patterns of practice, the patterns in which we follow Christ. The first one is, who's your master? Turn to your neighbor and say, who's your master? If it's your spouse, say, who's your master? I'm just kidding. Come on, guys, relax. Nancy, you're in charge, okay? <laughs> She's really the boss, guys. Come on. You think I'm joking. Okay. There's a principle that we must understand. Once again, I said the greatest misconception of freedom is that we think that we can do what we want. Read Romans 1, and it'll tell you, you can do what you want, but that does not absolve you from consequence. In fact, it says that God will give you up to your decisions. And it's called the passive wrath of God, that God allows you to do what you want, but you don't always get the result that you want. So there's the thought, you're always serving somebody or something. Freedom 
It's not just the ability. God doesn't just set you free from sin so I can sin more or do whatever I want and serve self. No, he's saying, hey, you have to choose the right master. You have to choose the right person that you're going to practice your life after. When we are born, we are born into sin. And unfortunately, we are wired to practice sin. So fortunately, the master is kind of chosen for us because of Adam and Eve, that we actually born into this pattern of self-destructive decisions of serving self. Have you met my three-year-old? He's the sweetest boy, but he, he said, that's mine. I don't understand. But the funny thing is we look at a three-year-old like, oh, they'll grow out of it. But some of us were 30 and we haven't grown out of that. <laughs> oh, that's mine. Oh, they got the position. I did it. I don't understand. So it's a self-destructive pattern that's called sin. So this principle that we must understand is that we choose to practice is really what makes us who we are. Because practice means this, to do or to make. So who you choose to serve or what you choose to practice really is what makes who you are. So when we show up to church on a Sunday, we listen to a message and we, you know, we lift our hands, but then we go throughout Monday through Friday without even thinking about who God is and without even considering intimacy with Christ. And then we wonder why we are not made into the image and the likeness of Christ because we are not practicing what Christ practiced and then what is not produced is we're not being made, molded and made into who God has called us to be molded and made into. So we are choosing to operate in self-destructive patterns and then we are confused in why we are still bound. It says this in Romans 6, it says this, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as an obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who once were slaves have become obedient to your heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. And I am speaking in human terms because, you're, because of your natural limitations. For just as once you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification." So in that verse, I'm going to tell you what determines who you serve. Because we can say this all day. I serve Jesus. Woo! I grew up in church. I'm a pastor's kid. I've been saying that since I was like four. I was at a youth camp this week, and it just brought me flashbacks. It's like three years old. I'm like, why am I at a youth camp? Okay? Okay? We can say that all we want. We can say, I believe in Jesus, just like in John chapter 8. What is the determining factor of who you serve? It's what you obey. What you obey. It says, I, when you obey, when you're either a slave to sin or you're a slave to righteousness. One or the other. This is what happens. When you're a slave to sin, it says you continue to sin. And guess what? It produces lawlessness, produces more lawlessness. So when you serve yourself, it just, it, it, it's the freedom from the lawlessness is just that, oh, I've been freed from the law. So we have taken grace and we've actually distorted it to lawlessness. The law doesn't exist anymore under grace. No, it says Jesus came to fulfill the law, not to abolish the law. Did you hear what it says? It's to follow the standards and the teachings of Christ. So there are still teachings and still standards that God has set, but it's now attainable because of the spirit of God and because of the grace of God. Before it was all on your own effort. He's like, oh, good luck. Now, because of Jesus, he doesn't say good luck. He says, hey, let me show you how to do it. Let's do it together. But who you obey is who you serve. 
Do you obey the gratifying the flesh? Do you obey gratifying your desires? Is it always focused on self? That may be your master. I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying that your God does not love you. I just want to be honest today. I'm using scripture and I want to let you know that that may be your master because who you obey is really who you're submitted to. So it says this, that it produces lawlessness as we submit to ourselves. I'm going to be honest. I don't want to serve myself because I'm all over the place. Do we serve our bitterness? Do we obey our bitterness more than we obey God's forgiveness? Do we, do we obey our anger more than we obey God's newfound joy and freedom? Do we obey our addictions and our cravings and our impulses and our desires more than, see, I believe this. We are not, we always say, well, I'm just human. We are just human, but guess who we are serving? We serve the God man who says, hey, your impulses, your desires, they are real, but they do not determine anything else. Trust in me. So you can say no to impulses and desires and, and inclinations and things that drive, that used to drive us. Guess what? They don't have to drive us anymore. I'm not saying we'll ever get to a place of perfection, but what I am saying is that still is our goal. Jesus says, be perfect as I am perfect. And people are like, oh, he didn't mean that. No, no, he meant it. That's why he said it. <laughs> he meant it. That doesn't mean that we will attain it, but it's still our goal. And the only way that we can even get to the place of growing into Christ's likeness is through the spirit of God. Do you see what it says? So if you obey righteousness, if you're a servant of righteousness, guess what? It produces sanctification which is mean you're, you're, you're gonna grow. You're going to grow into the likeness of God. If you serve righteous, if you submit yourself to what God has called, if you submit yourself to the spirit of God and the righteous spirit of God, which means that God is consistent, God is right, God is holy. If you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit, guess what begins to happen? Is in your life, things that you didn't understand could be produced, start being produced. And Dallas Willard says this, as you can tell, I love him so much. He says, character is not just who you are when nobody's looking, but characters who you are without even thinking. So this is what happens as you become a servant to righteousness, that the spirit of God and the spirit of righteousness starts being produced in your life without even thinking. So that, that family member you cannot stand that is coming over this afternoon for the 4th of July. They're coming. That's why you came to church today. You weren't going to come. It's like, oh, I can't spend any more time with them. I got to go to church to get ready for them. We know it's okay. We've all been there. But even them, guess what? Who you are without even thinking can be love and grace for them. The person who hurt you, the person who did you wrong, the injustices that have happened into your life, the addictions that have happened in your life, guess what? Who you are without even thinking is no longer bound, addicted, enslaved, but you are free. And it becomes to become a part of who you are. You don't have to think, well, I gotta be good. I gotta be good. I gotta be good. That's effort. But that's earning. Like, I gotta be good. I gotta be good. Guess what happens? When you are obedient to the voice of God and the commands of God, those things that you used to have to try to do, you don't have to try anymore. It just becomes a part of who you are. The second thing is, the first one is, who's your master? The second pattern we have to understand is to remember to remain. Remember to remain. Remember, it says this, if you abide, if you abide, that word abide means to remain, reside, stay, wait, continue to exist in. I love that. So to abide means you continue to exist in that place. Your existence is found 
where you are remaining. Your existence is found as what you're continuing to do. Your existence is found in enduring the faith and continuing on and growing into Christ's likeness. Your existence is found in Jesus. John, who's the closest disciple to Jesus, says the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he tapped himself for that, which is pretty cool, you know? Like, that'd be pretty cool to be like, I'm the one who Jesus loves the most. And you put it in your own book. And it's inspired by God, so God let him do it, you know? God didn't say, hey, all right, scratch that out. No, he said, yeah, that's good. You know, that's true. So he's the one who Jesus loved. The word abide is used 43 times in the New Testament. 40 of those times is used in John's literature. 40 out of the 43 times the word abide, remain, exist in, is used in John's literature, the one closest to Jesus. So maybe he had an insight of what it means to abide, what it means to remain, what it means to continue on. Because when I hear abide, you know what I hear? I'm like, you're just really just kind of sitting there and just not doing anything, right? Just gotta remain, not gonna move. But it's not complacency, it's not passivity. Remaining and existing in has something so much deeper to it. So when I say, just stay here, just stay here, just don't quit, just abide in me. Abiding is not merely about doing, but it's about this, it's about becoming. It's about becoming. Because when you're abiding, guess what you're reminded of? Who God is allowing you to become. See, this is the issue that we've made it into. We've removed the standard of the law because growing up, that law was used as a weapon, okay? I mean, I used to not be able to do Halloween trick-or-treating. Um, I, you know, I had, I had to do the Harvest Festival, which is awesome, nothing against it. Um, like I couldn't watch Harry Potter because I'd be like demon possessed. Um, like I could go down the list, okay? Like I had to fast for 40 days as a kid and like not watch Batman. I was like, what the heck? This is demonic. <laughs> I told my babysitter when my dad left, he said, hey, my dad said I cannot fast anymore. She said, really? I said, yeah, he let me watch. He said I could watch Batman. <laughs> my dad comes home, I'm watching Batman, eating popcorn, just loving it. He said, what are you doing? We're fasting for the Lord. I'm like, no, I can't do that anymore. <laughs> Too long, man. 40 days. I was like, eight. It's torture. And I'm all for fasting and I'm all for it being, you know, things of this world. I understand it. But for the longest time, it was a weapon of saying, I'm more holy than you are. Because we missed the whole point. It wasn't about doing or not doing, it's about becoming. It's about becoming. Who are you becoming is the most important question you should ask yourself as a believer. And have I grown into Christ's likeness? And if I haven't, why not? Have I removed myself from intimacy with God? Have I removed myself from the place of growth? Have I removed myself from following in his commands and have settled for just where I'm at? John understood what it meant to remain. What does it look like though to abide? This is what 1 John 2, 6 says, whoever says he abides in me ought to walk in the same way in which I walked. What does it look like to abide? Does it just mean I sit down and pray for three hours a day? Like that's stressful for me too. No, you don't have to do that if you don't feel that. Now if you do, awesome. It says in Ephesians to walk in step with the spirit. So get this. You can be two places at once. 
Some of you are thinking about your 4th of July plans right now and you're, in, you're here in the room, but your mind's somewhere else, right, amen? It's okay. You can be in two places at once. And this is the goal of the believer, that we are constantly bringing Jesus to the forefront of our mind and no matter what we do. If you're at work, guess what? You're bringing Christ to the forefront of your mind. Okay, God, what do you want me to do today? Who do you want me to talk to? Who do you want me to pray for? You're, at, you're in line at the grocery store. You're, in, you're on the 405, you're in the 90, whatever it may be, and you're in your place and you begin to bring him to the forefront of their mind. Prayer is a discipline that helps you do that. Intimacy is a, you know, silence, solitude, Sabbath, fasting. All of these disciplines are not the end goal. They're actually to help you get to the end goal, which is to bring Christ to the forefront of your mind, die to self and remain and say, okay, God, help me become, help me walk as you walked. Christ wants us to walk as he walked, talk as he talked, thought as he thought. He wants us to be those who model his life and how he walked. And that's what it looks like to abide. But then how do we abide? How do we do this? John 15 verse one says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch that is in me and that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so they can bear more free fruit. Already you are clean because of my word. I have spoken to you, abide in me and I in you and the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine and neither can you unless you abide in me. Did you hear that? It says you're already clean. So this is not a matter of getting dirty again and then unclean. This is the problem. We've made it, that's legalism. Oh, I got to clean myself again by praying and just speaking in tongues for two hours so I can purge myself of my sin. No, your sin has already been purged by Christ. You are already clean. You are already made new in your spirit. What this is, is saying, okay, now that that remain in the place of righteousness, don't go outside in patterns that do not fit you anymore. So how do I remain? Is the vine dresser, the father, guess what? He gets to choose what no longer gets to remain in me. The father will reveal and remove all that is not of his kingdom. And that will not bring you to the full new existence of understanding God. It is impossible to remain in God and still allow all these old self-destructive patterns to continue to remain. I believe this wholeheartedly. If you are in having true intimacy with God, it will be impossible for your old patterns to continue to remain, or at least comfortably. You can maybe let them re remain, but guess what? You're gonna be so uncomfortable. And you should thank the Holy Spirit that he's starting to make you feel, the things that you used to be so comfortable doing, you're not comfortable anymore. And that's the, whole, that, that's the Father saying, let me get that out of your life. Let me get that out of your life. If you wanna remain, you've gotta allow the Father to reveal what does not need to remain in you. Conviction is a beautiful gift from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is something that's general, that brings weight, that brings guilt, but conviction is specific and it removes and it reveals and it says, hey, this, let me elevate your thinking on this. There are certain patterns, there are certain ways of thinking, there are certain ways we treat our spouses that God is actually trying to reveal and to remove. And the reason why your marriage isn't producing the fruit that you want it to produce is because there are some fruit that is dead and that God is trying to remove so more fruit can be produced. So he didn't say that if you don't, you know, if you may have produced fruit in the future, maybe you've had some moments of freedom and some moments of this, but he's saying there's a continual pruning process. There's more fruit that God wants to produce in our marriages, in our businesses, in our relationships, in our city, in our own life. And he's saying, let me remove things that no longer belong. Fathers, 
God has called it. We, we need fathers in this generation like never before. Some of us, we are actually following in the pattern of our earthly father. And God's trying to remove that. Doesn't mean they were bad. Doesn't mean that they were evil. It just maybe wasn't the things in which God intended a father to do. And he's trying to remove it so you can bear fruit of what it means to be a father in the kingdom. It's the father himself revealing it to us. But there are some things we hold on to. Well, this is what my daddy did. This is what my mom did. This is what these people did. And God is saying, okay, but that's not what I do. That's not what I do. Remember to remain. God wants to remove these things. And this is where I finish. Is find the father. Pastor Cody's gonna talk more about this next week and I'm so excited about it. Find the father. Jesus says this in John 14, verse six is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Jesus didn't just model a new way of living, but he did. He's saying, hey, follow my way. Follow my way. There's a way in which I operate. He then tells them, I'm the truth. We talked about it in John chapter eight. I am the truth and I will remove all lies in your life. I will reveal all lies. I will give you true life. I am the life. But what was the destination of that verse right there? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. I think some of us, the thing that is holding us back from freedom is our misconception of a father. Maybe our father wasn't there. Maybe he abandoned us. Maybe he was, in, he was at the house, but he wasn't really at the house. Maybe he was a workaholic. Maybe he was an alcoholic. Maybe he was a drug addict. Maybe he was abusive. Maybe he was angry. Maybe he was just someone who tried his best, but he just couldn't figure it out because he never had a dad. See, the, 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 I think freedom is found in understanding your father. Jesus created a pathway and access to our father to heal wounds of earthly fathers, to heal wounds of people, because that's what a father does. He protects, he heals, he draws close. So Jesus is saying, my way of living, my truth that I will reveal, the life that I will produce is gonna do something that's so crazy, it's going to put you right at the feet of the father. And he's going to heal you. He's going to, he's going to, to, to mold you. He's going to shape you. He's going to design you. He's going to fill you with his spirit. Christ is divine that we are attached to. It's the life that we are attached to, but he gives us access to the father that removes the self-destructive patterns in our life, the vine dresser. A good dad doesn't let their kid destroy themselves. So when he convicts you of his sin, it's not him being a bad dad. It's him being a good dad. I remember I had some friends in school, their parents would let them do whatever they wanted. Like they could eat candy for lunch. I was like, that's dope. Said, My parents suck. I have to eat PB&J every day. I'm tired of it. But what I didn't understand is there's a difference between being a parent and a friend. Sometimes you try to be friends but my kid doesn't need me to be his friend. He's got a lot of friends in Discovery. He needs me to be his father. And what a father does is this. If Rio is running out into the street, I'm gonna be like, Rio, don't, don't do that, son. Come here. What kind of dad would let them just go? So this is it though. God, he'll put his hand on your shoulder, but you can choose to shuck it off and say, no, it's okay. I'm good. Thanks, God. Because that's what we think freedom is. 
just when I was a kid, I thought when I grow up, I'm gonna be free to do whatever I want. And guess what I was? I found out the hard way. Mommy and daddy were right. So God is saying, hey, don't do those things. They are destroying you. They're like, nah, God, I'm okay. And he says, all right. And then we get mad at God when it destroys us. The father is the place that we need to be. He will heal, he will reveal, he'll transform, he'll make new. Freedom is found in the father because we can, when we decide to become servants of sin, guess what? We don't stay servant. We, we stay servants of sin, but when we decide to become a servant of righteousness, we don't stay a servant. We become a son. Get this. If you choose to obey your sin nature, you will always be enslaved to that. Whatever you, but when you choose to obey God, though you're still a servant to God, guess what he does? He elevates you from being a servant and he ups your status to being a son and a daughter. That's how good God is. You see this? It says a servant does not remain in the house forever, but a son, a son remains forever. A son abides forever. So God will take you and say, let me elevate you. And Jesus says this to his disciples, I call you now servants, but now, what, now that I don't call you servants anymore, guess what? I'm gonna call you sons. I'm elevating, I'm calling you friends. And they're like this, friends? Only Abraham and Moses were friends. He's saying, yeah, that level of intimacy, you and I have. We're friends. And your sons, as I'm a son, you're a daughter, as I, we are now under the Father and God will elevate who you are. So when we become a servant of righteousness, something amazing happens. We go from servants to sons and a son learns the family business. Some of you, you you've actually taken the business from your dad. The same thing needs to happen in the kingdom. We as children learn the family business. And what's the family business? Freedom, hope, peace, joy, restoration, healing. And we learn how God moves. We learn how God works. We learn how God thinks. That's the goal is we learn how to do what God does. And he says, hey, let me show you this. You used to see it from this way. You used to see it from your angle, your pain, your hurt, your shame, all of these things. I'm gonna show you how I see you. I'm gonna show you how I see your friends. I'm gonna show you how I show you, see your, your, your business, your family, everything. And as we learn the family business, guess what begins to happen? It just begins to expand and grow because we're bringing other sons and daughters into the kingdom saying, hey, daddy's gonna show you how we do this. Knowing the family business is the key because there's a pattern in which God has designed you to live. And I promise you this, free, the, the, the bondage you are living in is not necessary if you are a son and daughter of God. The bondage that we live in is no longer necessary. It's just that we are choosing to live in it. So what we give up is short-term pain for long-term payout. We, I don't want to feel the pain of, because when you're getting trimmed and pruned, guess what? Sometimes it does hurt, but I would way rather it hurt in the short term than in the long term. I'm 10 years down the road walking in the same level of intimacy and maturity that I began with. So don't, don't, don't shortcome, don't shortchange yourself. Even today, God is removing things from you, the pattern in which you live, the way in which we think, the way in which we see the world, that God's saying, no, that's not me, that's just you. Romans 1 is all about those who have a pattern of sin. Romans 2 is all about those who have a pattern of self-righteousness. You've been in church your entire life. You know how to do things. You know how to say things. You know how to lift your hands. You know how to play the part. But even then, God is saying, you're not free because you don't have intimacy. You have religion.
legalism. But who the Son sets free is free indeed. You hear that? I have made you clean. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To watch our latest message, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel. To stay connected, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Free Chapel OC.